and welcome to the first episode of 2020. This is your host, Diana. On this episode, we explore Jalo influences, dissect the origin of a subgenre, and explain the difference between American and Italian popular cinema. Before we take a deep dive into this influential genre, we will discuss Brian De Palma's erotic thriller, Dress to Kill. My guest today is a musician, an aspiring filmmaker, and the host of his own pop culture podcast. Please welcome back to the podcast, Wade Brown! Hey! Hi. I'm back! It's been October? Couple months. Yeah, you've been flying off with all these great guests you've had over the past few months, and yeah. Slum it down with me now. Yeah, I had Lauren on and Tristine, and they were awesome. I can't wait to have them back on. I got a lot to live up to. It's been a while. I got to brush off my jalo. I'm ready. Awesome. Well, it's a new year, new episode. Yes. Super excited to have you. So have you been watching anything good? I know that we had you on the episode for favorite films of 2019. Yes. But it's now new year. Have you been watching anything in the past month? Uh, yeah. I mean, show-wise, Star Trek The Next Generation. How's that? It's, uh, it's good. I'm on the first season. The first two seasons are a slog. What year was that from? 1987, I think, was what? the first season. It was 1987 and then ends in 94, but then Deep Space Nine starts in, in the middle, apparently. I found this compilation list where it says, like, okay, here's all the TNG shows that are not, like, filler and then I like all of the important episodes. Are yeah, like, so it's like episodes. forty episodes, but then D Space Nine is episodic, like very like it's like a long arc. So I'm like, oh geez, what did I get myself into? Movie wise, I saw Jay and Silent Bob reboot, and the that just tur- came out. Yeah, and the turning. We're not gonna talk about the turning because I don't want to. It was I saw ba- the and, and bad boys as well, and bad boys. <laughs> bad boys for life. Yes, but three, three life, three life, three life. <laughs> but yeah, nothing really giallo. It's, well, except for this movie. Right. Yeah. So I have been catching up on all of the shows that I missed during the last few months uh-huh. of 2019. Uh-huh. I've been pumping them out. I watched The Watchmen. Yes. Mandalorian. Yes. I'm caught up on Shit's Creek. It's the final season and there's only three or four episodes out. New Kirby Enthusiasm. Yes. And it's The Outsider, The Outsider on HBO, which is really good. Yes. I would definitely recommend that the listeners watch that mm-hmm. because it is very creepy and I think it's only going to get more creepy. That's a mystery. Yeah, it's a mystery and it's it's just really unique and unsettling and definitely one of the better shows that I think is on television right now. Especially since Watchmen's off. Right. Yeah. That was really good. Yeah. And as far as movies, I did see The Turning, The Bad Boys, Three Life. Oh, 1917. I saw 1917, which was really good. Yeah, very loud. The very cinematography good. was amazing. Roger Deakins, come on. Well, yeah, he's awesome. Um, I saw Underwater. Oh, yeah. With Kristen Stewart. I didn't Stewart. Get to see this one. I had so much fun with that movie. It is nothing really groundbreaking or new. But it is aquatic horror, and it's fun and claustrophobic and has a cool monster. I want to see it again. It was so much fun. Yeah. Love that. And then last night, I watched Cabin in the Woods. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Oh, and I've also been watching the Criterion movies we do on the Man Can Dish YouTube. We watched Scanners. 
I've never seen Scanners. Oh, yeah, we did watch Scanners. Apparently, I've never seen Scanners Ooh. all my life. And, uh, boy, that's, that, that's a weird movie. Yeah. Not as in, not, it was intense, but not as intense as this movie can be. Coming out of Sundance, some people are saying that Cronenberg's son, I think his name's Brandon, Brandon Cronenberg, is coming out with a new film, and it's getting really great reviews, is it like, and I really want to see it. I, I don't know anything okay. about it. I just know it's by it's by Cronenberg's son. I mean, he probably watched his dad make stuff like Naked Lunch or something like that, and like, yeah. It's probably going to be weird. Well, I think in the past month we have watched a lot of movies and a lot of shows, <laughs> even though we watched even more in December. That's what we do. We love watching movies. So we are going to talk about another movie by the great Brian De Palma. Not De Palma. Who is known as the Master of the Macabre. Have you heard of that? No. It's on all of the posters. I believe it's in the documentary. The only thing I remember about the documentary is he says "Holy mackerel" a lot. <laughs> he does say uh, that. He's the um, no. He's the he's the what was it, the master macabre? He said. Yeah, master. Of he is the master of mackerel. mackerel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he. That's what he's known as. I had seen it for the first time on some posters, and then when I was watching the extras on the DVD that I have, not the Blu-ray, the DVD. Yes. Which is a hilarious story because I kind of had my feelers out on what type of movie to watch for this episode. And I was sent a few suggestions and Dress to Kill was one of them. Oh, so this is a fan suggestion. It is a fan suggestion. And it has been recommended a few times. So I'm so happy that I'm finally doing it, but I didn't have it on Blu-ray. I know that it's Criterion Collection. But I didn't really want to purchase a $40 Blu-ray for a movie that I don't know if I'm going to like it. And it's not the Barnes & Noble sale yet. It's like in some <laughs> right. types of the year. And I, so. you know, I have to get a special rush delivery. But anyway, the next day I go to Books A Million and I'm just looking through their very tiny movie section. That they yes. Have. They're very tiny used movies. And I see Dress to Kill there. Mm-hmm. And it's like $6 and it's sealed. Yes. So, of course, I bought it, and I'm like, yeah, this is meant to be. It was, it was a sweet deal. It was a sweet deal, and it was meant to be because they didn't really have any other Jollo. I think about two other movies there that were Jollo, and I can't even remember what they were because it was like a month ago. Cat of Nine Tales. Was that one of them? Yeah, I think it was Cat of Nine Tales was one of them. Because I was like, ooh, that's cool. I've yeah, never seen it was that. a great deal. Yeah. Yeah, so I got a really great deal that day. It was a movie that I had been wanting to review, and I was like, it's meant to be, so here we are. So, Dress the Kill was released in July of 1980, and it was a box office hit. There was some controversy, but people ate it up, and they just watched it anyway. He was on a roll. Wasn't, like, Carrie, like, like maybe a year or two before this? It was, like, 80, was it 78, I believe, was Carrie? Sisters. A fa- Sisters, Fan of the Paradise, which is not really a horror movie, but it kind of is a little bit. It's a little spooky at times. Yeah, he was established. Yeah. So, to sum up the plot of the film... It is about a New York City housewife who is brutally stabbed to death in an elevator. And then the film starts to follow her psychiatrist, her teenage son, and a prostitute who witnessed her murder. That's about right. Yeah. So there are only a few characters in this one. We have Angie Dickinson, who plays Kate Miller, who is that New York City housewife who was murdered. Also, spoilers, spoiler warning, guys. She gets murdered. One thing that I do really like about this film is that they kill off the most notable and most likable actress within the first 30 minutes. You know what other movie does that? Scream. Scream, and that's my favorite movie. Well, also, uh, I was going to say Psycho. 
Very true. Yeah. Yes. You know, De Palma's a big Hitchcock uh, Hitch, fan. Hits mm-hmm. a very Hitchcock fan. Yeah. I mean, like, I, you can see a lot of his movies are very Vertigo inspired. But I love that because, of course, I love Scream and I just didn't really know much about this film going in. I knew the themes of the film, but I didn't pry because I didn't, I knew I was eventually going to watch it when the timing was right and the timing was right this one and I was surprised by a lot of stuff that happened. I never heard of this movie. Really? So, yeah, I never heard of this movie before until you brought it up. Oh, I'll check it out. And I looked at it. Oh. Yeah, it's the De Palma and Criterion. Oh, wow. Michael Caine's in this? Wow. <laughs> I didn't know Michael Caine was in this. <clears throat> Michael... But yeah, so that brings me to Michael Caine as Michael. Dr. Robert Elliott. He is Kate Miller, the New York City housewife, her psychiatrist. Yes. So there is some exposition and some dialogue scenes in the beginning between the two of them. Yeah, do you want to... Do you want to have sex with me while I don't Oh, this know. is by far the horniest movie that we have reviewed on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, starting, like, I don't want to delve too quick, but the first scene, yeah. naked lady in a shower. That scene was originally written to be a man shaving, and he's, like, shaving his face, and then he's shaving his chest, then he's shaving his pubic area, and then he cuts off his penis. What? Yeah, so that's how De Palma originally wrote the opening. They well, thought that was wild, so they went with this dream sequence instead. Well, he was shaving. Right, there was a man shaving. He was shaving, so he got what he wanted. But Michael Caine's character, originally Sean Connery. Really? Yep, so Sean Connery, originally cast in this role, and he was really psyched to do it. He loved the character. He thought the story was really interesting, and then he had some kind of conflict pop up, and he couldn't do it. Well, don't worry. Uh, I don't know why it started doing John Sean Connery, but don't worry. He does end up in a De Palma movie. He ends up in Untouchables. I think that's all he's ever done with De Palma is Untouchables. Yeah. Fun, fun little fact there. And the great Nancy Allen is in this, who I've only seen in RoboCop, and yeah. she's fantastic in RoboCop, but she's also in Blowout, which is another... She's also in Carrie! Okay, so I've seen two movies she's in. Well, she was married to Brian De Palma yeah. for yeah. a couple for a couple years, but they make a great team. Yeah, and she's great in this. So she received a Golden Globe Award nomination for her role as Liz Blake, and she also was nominated for a Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Actress. Oof. I, I don't think she was a bad actress. I think she was acting how her character would act. Yeah, I think the worst performance is solid at best. It's not bad. There's no bad performances in this. Yeah. Angie Dickinson, she received a Saturn Award for Best Actress, so she won Best Actress at that award show. And <laughs> one of the most notable scenes is that shower scene that you mentioned. Yeah. And that was a body double. That wasn't even Angie Dickinson. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that was actually 1977 Penthouse Pet of the Year, Victoria Lynn Johnson. Wow, she has Go Victoria. Names. Go Victoria, woo! You did it. Um, yeah, so that scene is great. I don't know what if you want to talk about, like, scenes in general right now. We can talk about that shower scene if you want. It is the opening I love, of the film. I love the opening of this. It's filmed very dreamlike, and that's what I like about this movie. There's scenes where it's just very, it seems like it's a nightmare, but this is camera-wise almost like a dream. It has a kind of, that kind of, not glossy filter, like kind of like cloudy filter mm-hmm. to it. It has this serene music by Pino DiNaggio, 
Yeah, it's um, very romantic. Yeah, yeah. This one's very... It's very serene and peaceful. Like, nothing bad's gonna happen. It's kind of like uh, in Deep Red we did a couple months ago where it starts like the, the, the nice music and stuff. This one, I love how it takes forever. He takes the time to let it breathe. Oh, you don't know what's gonna happen. And she's looking at this guy and you're thinking, oh... This guy is going to get killed because she, yeah. her back's to the shower wall. There's yeah, no way she's going to get attacked. Happen. She's safe there. Yeah. And then all right. of a sudden, a, someone grabs her yeah. from the mist and pulls her out. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, hold on. And then it's a dream sequence. And then they cut to, like, her having sex with... Oh, that, she was, that was a bad sex scene. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, you have this, like, perfection and this, like, yeah. dream and fantasy. Right. And then she has this gross awkward yeah. sex of this I guy. do love how the film starts with this dream sequence and then it ends with a nightmare sequence. Yes. It, we don't have to skip right to the end, but like I thought that was, Yeah, I thought that was really interesting and I, I love that feel and I think that the camera work is very interesting because you have the opening again that's very soft. Yeah. A lot of soft focus and makes you feel safe and then you have you know the middle portion which is very realistic and like a lot of mirrors and based in reality and a lot of of like a lot of violence the nightmare sequence at the end where it's very dark and like obscure angles the asylum we'll get into it but the asylum is particularly on the the weirdness yeah scale generally the whole movie it doesn't have much of a dream filter to it but still feels like it like it's the same yeah. Did a, you watch the unrated version? Unrated, yes. I don't watch the theatrical version. If you get a <laughs> so choice, you watch the, the unrated. Yeah, so the unrated version is only 30 seconds longer, but it shows more pubic hair in the shower scene, more blood in the elevator scene. There's a close-up of the shot of the killer slitting Kate's throat. I'm so glad I saw that because that was a really good practical effect. Yeah. And then there's more explicit dialogue just throughout the entire film. Yeah. The the train sequence. We'll get into that. But the train sequence, it still felt like it was kind of a dream. Like a never-ending train. She kept going through the door and door and door. It felt like it was never-ending. And it seemed like a very nightmare situation. Like how like the the gang was placed where she was... St- you know, it, it, it felt like it just it didn't seem like... Natural, it seems. Nancy Allen, I have not seen many movies that she's been in, but I think for that period of time, like early 80s, early to mid 80s, she would have been like an amazing scream queen. Like she kind of reminded me of Nancy from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Like she kind of had that like wide eyed, like innocence. Yeah. Like I think she would have been like great in one of those roles, but you know, long time ago. Yeah. Even though she kind of, you know, she had a tough occupation, she was a bit of a hard ass. Yeah. Um, you still felt a bit of uh, panic when she was in peril. Yeah. And I really like the, um, like we were talking about the opening, a little side note, I forgot to say in my notes, uh, that she has taken the best shower ever in the history of showers. I kind of envy her because she was really enjoying that shower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, can I ever take a shower like that? Jeez. Again, horniest movie um, we've reviewed so far. Uh, and then, like, you know, all this happens. But then we follow her. And what I like about it is, aside from the therapist scene, well, and also establishing her son is like a, a, like a, like a tech whiz. Yeah, he is based on Brian De Palma. 
Oh, really? Yeah, when Brian wrote him, he wrote him oh, yeah, as himself. Because he said um, with the camera, he spied, spied on his father, cheating on his mom, or whatever. Documentary. Oh, the documentary. Yeah, yeah okay. like, like, he... T- I thought the, you meant the, the, the camera the during the movie scene. says no, that. No, the camera scene when they, she, they, they coming out of the therapist's artist. Yeah. Yeah, that whole thing. Um, aside from that, it doesn't really matter. You know, he's just a means to the end uh, yeah. for the movie. He's not really important. He's important to get Nancy Allen... From here to there, and to explain what transsexual is, I don't know if it was on purpose to be funny. I don't know because the old lady reaction. Uh, <laughs> the end. But like the first thirty minutes, like all of her stuff is inconsequential. I mean, I guess it leads her to that elevator, but her like the idea of infidelity. And in the end, it doesn't matter. the The husband doesn't find out. It's like so like the husband. That's I'm surprised that the husband didn't dig deeper. Well. Obviously, there's not a sequel to this, but I'm assuming that her husband is going to wonder why she was at this building, which is known for having prostitutes and, like, one-night stands and stuff like that. And then they're going to notice that she doesn't have her ring on her finger. Yeah, because she is the worst at uh, taking off any type of clothing or jewelry. She'll just (laughs) forget it. Like, geez, like, she literally forgot three things, and thank God De Palma had the split-screen uh, camera effect he does, because she would never knew where it was. <laughs> never knew. An interesting scene was the museum. I love the museum scene. Because she just kind of, like, she wants the danger. She wants the infidelity, but then she kind of doesn't. Like, she wants the thrill, but she doesn't want the consequence. Well, the production for that museum scene I found quite interesting. They originally went to film it at a museum in New York, which is where the film is based and where the rest of the film yeah. was made. But they couldn't get the permits to do it, so they drove to Philadelphia, and they filmed it in a museum oh. in Philadelphia. Oh. And then they did the exteriors back in New York at the Met. That's obviously New York. Yeah. The outside. Um but I never would, it was just so seamless. You wouldn't have thought that that was yeah. filmed in she, a different state. She flirts with the, the guy in sunglasses, and then he walks away, and then she's like, oh, but she kind of wants to chase him down. She wants that thrill of the chase. But yeah, then, but she when, laughs when, at herself for yeah. getting like a little bit flustered when he but then, didn't give her attention. When he grabs her with the glove, right? He grabs her in the shoulder. She freaks out and starts running away, and she regrets everything she's doing. An interesting... There's an interesting scene. She's she's looking at two different cut types of people. She's looking at the flirtatious couple. He's grabbing her butt, stuff like that. But then she's looking at this uh, this couple with a kid, and there's no passion there, right? And I'm thinking, is that like going through her life? Like this is her teenage years. This is her settling down, or is it kind of like the choice of married life? Infidelity. That is a possibility. I'm, I'm guessing infidelity and the... Just monotony the, the family of life. family life. The family life. Right. Then the most awkward cab ride. But before that, she is chasing the man through walking through the museum. Briskly walking. Yeah, and there's the shot with the steady cam in front of her. Mm-hmm. The production for that, another really cool tidbit that I found when I was researching this film was the steady cam kept going out of focus when she would walk. If she would go a little bit too far back or a little bit too close, it kept going out of focus. So they had her hold a rope that was the perfect distance from the camera, <laughs> from the lens, and just had her just hold onto that rope so she wouldn't go any further back or any further forward. Smart. 
So smart. Yeah. Love it. I can only imagine the takes that took. Right. Yeah. It's like, okay, and they were tie, in a public place too, so I don't know. Rope they probably were not able to like shut down the entire place. So yeah. you know, they're probably yeah. non-actors yeah. in the museum. And then that transitions to a very awkward cab ride. The cabbie's okay with it apparently. Then and he knows right where to go. And then she is the worst at taking off her clothes though, because she keeps losing everything. I know. And she <clears throat> finds the one glove that he takes, and she, then she leaves the other glove on the ground in front of the museum. And they're probably expensive gloves. And she leaves her panties in the cab. And then she leaves her wedding ring at the, in the at, in at the, the bachelor's in house the room or the apartment. Yeah. yeah, and then then we get one of the best like. Kind of jump scares in the movie. So when she opens the drawer, she's like, I'm going to make a little, like a little note. Thanks for everything. Yeah. Like perfection, how she sees it in the movies, in the right. flicks. Yep. And then she sees the VD, the venereal disease. Uh, you have a venereal disease. And she's freaking out. I and don't know if that scene was really necessary. Was, I guess it's kind of like, you know, word to the wise. Hey, don't cheat because you're going to get VD. Yeah. You're going to get burned. You, you know, you play a fire, you're going to get burned. Um, Literally, because that VD be burning. Yeah. And also, it's kind of <laughs> like extra... I don't know. It, there's, there's a theme with women going outside the line. Yeah. Like, there's a whole... Like, people think that Brian De Palma is very misogynist in this movie. I don't see it. Maybe because I'm a guy. Uh, but I don't see it. I see it more of, that's the cruel world at the time. Is no one believes women and women have to be this certain cookie-cutter way... Um, and if you call her outside the lines, you're going to get a VD, you're going to get something, killed, something like that. Right. Yeah, he was accused of being misogynistic. But I do like about the scene is, it's kind of a red herring, like, because then, now you're very invested, like, is she going to get caught? And then, literally, like, a few minutes later, it doesn't matter anymore. All that stuff we've been building up, like, her infidelity, is her husband going to find out, what's the VD, she might be pregnant, stuff like that. It doesn't matter in the end. Also, another little nod to Jalo in this creepy kid in the elevator. Oh, yeah. I mean, you gotta have... Gotta have a creepy kid. Yeah. It's a checklist. Check. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it doesn't end. It, like, all these things that we've been building up for 30 minutes are just totally, like, inconsequential. I guess that you feel bad for her. She didn't want this. She didn't want to be murdered in an elevator, but it's interesting, you know? Oh, that elevator is so tense. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's when the movie really clicked right there, I thought. Because I was like, where's this going, man? This is kind of losing me. Then, like, the VD thing happened. Oh, okay. Kind of piqued my interest. So when you were, if you were bored, you're not bored as much anymore. That uh, elevator scene with the mirror. So good. Really good. And when he slices her hand in the, the first the first uh, lunge, oh my god. I yeah. was like, okay, now I know why this is a shallow. Oh my I really like the cinematography in this one. I, I really don't want to get into the details of what happens because I recommend that the listeners watch it if they haven't already because it's a really good film. I mean, there but will I, be a spoiler later. Like, you know, we can't not talk about a certain spoiler. But I will say that I love the highly stylized images of the violence. Yes. I love the... Classic dream- I love Yes, I love the dreamlike sequences. I loved all the scenes where it just takes you by surprise and you don't really know what's happening. 
loved all of the mirror shots. I am a sucker for good mirror shots. And the mirror plays a real... We'll get into it when we get spoilers. Probably. Right, and then the split diopter with the deep focus shots. Yes. Yeah, amazing. Um, Classic diploma. And then we get into the whole crux where Nancy Allen finds the body and that one woman's like, oh, you did it! And Rat runs away and then... That was very <clears throat> strange because... Nancy Allen was clearly just outside of the elevator, yeah. standing there. But the lady, the maid, or the, like the house cleaner. Yeah. Oh, funny. And then we get to um, the police station with like the most misogynistic cop Dennis ever. Dennis Franz. Oh, that dude was like the quintessential. But you know what? He felt like a New York cop. He looks familiar. Yes, he is very much a cop. He was on NYPD Blue. Oh! Oh my Hell god! Street Blue. Oh my god! Die yes. Hard 2. And he was also in Blowout. Oh my god. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh my and god. Body Double. And to bring him back to Hitchcock, Psycho 2. Nice. But yeah, like, we get to that and then, you know, the whole, and that's, that's all exposition. It's kind of having all the characters meet each other. We get Michael Caine, uh, meeting the, the son, and also the son seeing Nancy. It's like everything kind of comes together, and we learn more about... Uh, it's a former patient of Michael Caine. And they think that the killer is a former patient yeah. because... Well, he knows, because he gets a call. Right, because the patient, whose name is Bobby, is calling the psychiatrist, Michael Caine's character, and leaving these voice messages saying... You know what he did. Yeah. I stole your knife. And you're like, man, man, why are you stealing knives too? You're killing people and stealing knives. What the hell? You know, it's kind of like cat and mouse at this point with, you know, Nancy and, the, and that train seat. Like, it's it's a blonde woman with sunglasses that's killing these people, right? Michael Caine's character explains that the patient is a transitioning. Yes. Transgender. Male to female. Yes. So we know that the killer is transgender. Yes. But we just, we don't know who the killer, we can't, it's cat and mouse, we can't, we can never yeah. catch up. We with. also see the doctor that's been treating Bobby, played by uh, David Margulies, I think his name is. He was the mayor in Ghostbusters. Oh. Uh, I believe he's also in Sopranos, I be- don't quote me on that, I think. Believe- <laughs> He looks like he would be. Uh, yeah, I think he was like the lawyer. I don't remember. Yeah, he was in. He was the Ghostbusters mayor. That's how I know. He looks familiar. Yeah, this movie was a little bit under two hours long, and there were three kills. Two of them possible. Two of them were iffy. Sequence. Two of them were iffy. Two of them were iffy. Speaking and- of kills, the original title for this film, Straight Razor. Oh. Thank God Never they, would have known that. Thank God they kept Rest the Kill. It's a better <laughs> name. I wasn't expecting more fashion, although Nancy Allen's character, her fashion was great. So did you want to get into the big thing? We can. Um, so we will talk about the first kill, which was Angie Dickinson. Yes. Second iffy kill towards the end. It's the nurse. The nurse. Third iffy kill, Nancy Allen. Yes. That's well, it. that might be a dream sequence. Both but of them might before, be dream sequences. But before the dream sequence, we have the big unveiling of who the killer is. Yes. Which I was shocked, because like I said, I avoided all the pictures of the killer for years. I mean, this movie came out in 1980, so my entire life I've been avoiding it because I knew that 
It had a very shocking killer and a shocking motive. Yes. And it is, drumroll, Michael Caine. Michael Caine, the therapist, is also Bobby. It's like a dual personality. I kind of had a feeling it was, because he kept looking in the mirror. At first, I was like, be a good husband, so he doesn't cheat or whatever. But he kept looking in the mirror. I was like, this is weird. And then after we find a twist, you start digesting the movie, you start realizing, okay, so we're seeing the killer. The killer is only seen in Nancy Allen's eyes, like in the elevator, via mirror. Right. And at the end, with the dream sequence, she sees via mirror. So I feel like Bobby is just a mirror image. It's like a doppelganger, like in through the mirror world. It's not actually... I can see that. The change occurs when Michael Caine's character is being... Aroused. Yeah, aroused, exactly. Um, Like, proposition for sex. Because Nancy Allen's in their lingerie, and you're like, man, Nancy Allen, man. Right, that's iconic. Love that scene. Yeah. Yes, Nancy Allen. If you're listening, we love you. Yes, queen. Um, But yes, whenever he's aroused, he, his mind just flips that switch, and Bobby takes over. Yeah, and also a big giveaway is like, I stole your knife. You know, like, it's his knife. He could eat, and also, Psycho. I was getting Psycho vibes, and I was like, he's the killer, isn't he? <laughs> and he's going to dress and drag, right? That's what we're going to do. And we did. Um, but it's effective. Michael Ka- I never thought I'd say Michael Caine as, in like... In drag. That- he was only in drag during that scene in his office. Every other scene yeah. where the killer... You have to pay him. That's true, <laughs> but every other scene where, you know, the killer is shown, it's just a woman with a similar build yes. to Michael Caine. Um, Not the character, like, the police officer character, it's just, like, a double, basically. I Now, now I kind of want to see Sean Connery in drag. <laughs> in drag. James Bond in drag. I wonder if there's Shane test photos. Bond. Um, <laughs> Are there test photos? Uh, but then that leads in this weird tightrope of two scenes. This awkward scene of them at the police station, and they're sitting at, like, Nancy and the cop are sitting in, like, school desks? Yeah. I noticed that. And they're learning about transsexuality, and I'm like, is there a reason why they're in school desks? Or is that how police stations were? I but think like, are they learning? Is that maybe what it is? wasn't the best set design, but also possibly... It's just exposition. Police precincts. Yeah. That's what they look like. Um, And it just goes in this whole, like, do you know what transsexual... And I was like, it's hard to watch in 2020 when you're like, yeah, it's normal. You know, but probably back in the 80s, it's like... Back in the 80s, it was a story about obsession with split personalities or disassociative identity disorder. So I think deep down it had a lot to say. Back in the 80s... Filmmakers caught a lot of flack for tackling sensitive issues like that, and I don't think that De Palma meant anything yeah. bad by his message oh, no, behind it. Oh, no, oh no, but there was like a lot of heavy, not heavy handed, but like over explaining. At the time, no one knew what transsexuality was, yeah. or saying no, no one knew that, but in 2020, it's like. Yeah. Especially the scene <laughs> with Nancy and the son at that. At, like, at, the Yacht Club or something. And you're with like, a bunch of old white women. And then you get, the, like, this comment, comedy moment of the woman, like, reacting. And, like, wait, this scene... I feel like this scene could easily have just been taken out. No, I... 
that scene, I was laughing but, so hard. I, meant, I think that scene is just so awkward that it just had no. And then it kind of leads to like, oh, like him and Nancy were gonna get together. Nah, I don't think so. I think they're just like buddies. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're sleuths. I don't. I think they're just like buddies. Like they're just gonna be like roommates or something. Yeah. And she goes home with him, and she is of course exhausted by all of the. Yeah. Chasing and running and... Yeah, and that leads to... Getting naked. <laughs> that leads to, like, the insane asylum, which... Where they take Michael Caine, they yeah. catch him trying to commit the murder of Nancy Allen, the cop, and his yeah. spy yeah. detective. <laughs> yeah. Not my spy detective. Who was not, like... She was like, oh, yeah, I spied on you. Like, this, like, <laughs> this, like clerk, clerical lady. And, like, there's no way this person is, like, good at spying on someone. Amazing. Or maybe she's the best spy because she's unassuming. Uh, that's true. And then we... I kind of had a feeling this was a dream because, like, this is the weirdest asylum I have ever seen. Like, it opens to, like, this big gymnasium? Like, what is going on? And then... When he kills the nurse brutally, and they're just watching it, and then the camera starts going up, like to the ceiling. So we're seeing like kind of like a bird's eye view of everything. When you get to like the second level, it feels like really weird structure. It feels like weird architecture, and I'm like, this is not real. This is really freaking weird. And then you find out that well, it's supposed to be. You know, a psychiatric yeah. unit. That's why. That's like why that. I'm thinking like it's but a I, dream. But like everything was really dark, and it did have really like bizarre yeah. camera angles. It felt otherworldly, and that's why I was like, this must be part of the dream too, because it just didn't feel like real life. It felt very hot, like nightmare. To me, the best part of the movie is the ending. The slit, I was not ready for. It was so seamless. I maybe would have cut the the close up because the skin tone did not match. Right. Really but you didn't need it. You didn't need that transition. I don't know why they chose that. I guess because it's like, oh my god, it's cool. But it looked cool without the close-ups. I don't know why I did it. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Because once again, it plays on your expectations. Like in the beginning, you expect, oh, no one's going to attack yeah, her. From the, because the, she's the, in the, the shower. Wall, the yeah. wall's right yeah. there. There's, she's not going to get attacked because right. that guy's in the doorway. Nope, behind her through the mirror. <sighs> Holy crap. Yeah, and, and then she, you know, wakes up from the nightmare and she's... Screaming. Shooketh. He loves ending movies of screaming. That's how Carrie ended. And then there was screaming. He loves people screaming at the end of movies. Al Pacino kind of screaming in Scarface. His book ended by dreams. And it makes you think, well, it's all, you know, what was a dream and what was not. Yes. I would recommend that the listeners watch this movie. Oh, yeah. You. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we didn't spoil too much, or you have seen it previously. It would be awesome. I really hope, really, with any of the films that you watch it beforehand, mm-hmm. and then you just listen to us do a little bit of analysis. Yeah. Also, uh, this is not my flavor of the month, but also check out uh, another De Palma movie called Sisters. That movie is so good as uh, cam like camera work, and the twist in that's pretty good too. Because they do the split screen, and it's really, it's really cool. Oh idea. yeah, I love that. Yeah, it's a really cool idea. I love the De Palma does all of those like split scene yeah. or the deep focus shots. He does it a little bit in this. That's why I'm saying Sisters. If you like that, you'll love Sisters. There are like three scenes in yes. Drastic Hill. Amazing. And it's all because she forgot the damn jewelry no. and clothing. There was also the scene where. It's, there's one of Michael Caine and Nancy Allen, like Nancy Allen's on the phone. 
Another great shot, I love this shot so much, is when Michael Caine is in the police detective's office and Nancy's in the background, like far in the background, mm-hmm. the foreground. And I think you see the sun, like maybe his head's there or whatever. I really love that shot. My favorite shot is probably at the train station when she has that like purple, purplish blue outfit on, just lights behind her. Like she's walking. It's an exterior shot, but there are a bunch of lights behind her. A great, another great shot of that scene is when she's filing in the train and she talks to the guard and the security guard's like, I don't believe you. Classic of no one believes women in this movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and it shows her and the camera pans over to him. But in the pan, you see the, the killer in the window and they pan to him like looking at her like you liar or whatever and it pans back and they're not in the reflection anymore i love that that kind of sequence there it's really good see the elevators the elevator sequence alone is worth the watch yeah the tension where she reaches her hand in and you see that knife go down oh man so good hard recommend yes for this episode i did a deep dive into the giallo subgenre or better yet, the Italian term filone or filone. I like how you you did the Italian hand gesture while you said filone. Filone. <laughs> I could really have accented it, but I just yes. did a little bit one. Yeah, so filone is a term that I had come across while looking for films that were inspired by Jalo, but not technically Jalo. I looked at the relationships between films and the influences created by these films. Italians use the word filone, which can refer to both a genre and a cycle of films. The English equivalent means in the vein of. So dress the kill. Not totally Jalo, but it's in the vein of. It's like an homage. A yeah, bit. it's in the vein of. A Jalo Homage. <laughs> um, it's like a homage, kind of like... I'll get into that. Hold your thought. I, I can hear the wheels turning. So as opposed to the conventional American term genre, in Italian popular cinema, the correct term is filone. And the difference between the two terms reflects largely on the industry practices. In Italy, in the late 70s and the 1980s, producers would not ask, what is your film like? Like, what is it about? They would say, what film is your film like? The past couple episodes that we have done on this podcast, All the Colors of the Dark and The Perfume of the Lady in Black, very much like Rosemary's Baby. So in the vein of Rosemary's Baby, the Italians created these films. And that's what producers were looking for. They were kind of looking for what was popular at the time, what could make money, what could be re- recreated for Italian audiences. It's like now where everyone, like a lot of studios are like, we got to have our own cinematic universe in the vein of Marvel. I was also thinking like how samurai and westerns are kind of very similar in like the kind of ideals and how it's shot and the, the mood setting of, of samurai. And that's why the Mandalorian works because it's kind of western yeah, and samurai. It's like the basic structure is there, but they just change a few little few little parts, do a little few little tweaks, and then they kind of elevate to the filone, the filone. Yes, if you will. <laughs> um, so I found this quote from Paul Hoffman from the New York Times. He defines filone as a streamlet, as in a small stream off of a main river. So one could say that Jalo 
as a streamlet is a stream off of larger crime or horror it's genres. A subgenre. Like I think Jalo is a subgenre of horror. Yep, it's a streamlet off of horror. Yeah. Or crime dramas. Yes. Exactly. Another good one that I really love, Wes Craven's Last House on the Left sparked a mini phylon of hostage films that fused Jalo and sexploitation. So that was a phylon in Italy in the 70s. Coming from America, they kind of took it and they put a spin on it and they fused Jalo and sexploitation. So on this podcast, me being American and you being American and we're all from... Yeah, Claudio. I did have Claudio. Well, he was a guest. He wasn't a guest host. Yeah. Claudio Simonetti. If you haven't listened to the episode, listen to it. Do it! It's really short. He was really cool. Being American, we say Italian. we say genre or subgenre. Yeah. Italians say filone, filone. I'm sorry to any Italians if you're listening. I probably will never. <laughs> a quarter of me is not a fr- not angry at you. At yeah, all. I just of habit will say genre or subgenre, but I will try to work the term filone into the podcast and into my. Dialogue. It's hard because it's <laughs> how it's this how it's pronounced is very weird to say. Yeah, so I, I want to say feline a lot. It's also a type of bread. Yes, when you told me feline, like, what the hell is feline? So I looked up bread. Thanks, thanks, Diana. This is real helpful. Yeah, I, I read further. I read further. I went on YouTube and <laughs> I, because of course I do a lot of research for these episodes, you know, as much as possible. For this one, I read a lot of books, which was awesome because last year, towards the end of the year, I watched so many movies I could not read a ton of books. Like I want to be authentic and find out the original concept of these films and yes. the story behind them. Um, I did want to note that another phylone that I found, which is also very dear to me, is George Romero's Dawn of the Dead from 1978. That one paired Mondo and Third World cannibal subgenres, meshed them together, and created the zombie film. Yeah. So producers in Italy began to create films that featured cannibals and zombies. Zombie 2 was an example. There you which go. Which is Dawn of the Dead 2. Cannibal and, and, Holocaust, and, City yeah. of the Living Dead... So yeah. Fulci really went for it with that genre. Well, Fulci, Fulci is the master of uh, the um, the zombie phylum, if you will. He's the master. He's also the master of other things he does. He's also good at Jalo. We have not done, or you haven't done uh, Fulci yet, so hopefully soon. That's a fan no, suggestion. It's a, that's my fan <laughs> suggestion. Do New York Ripper. There you go. Awesome. So all of these changes in the Italian popular cinema industry, they had somewhat of an effect on filmmakers that they were, it required them to be a sort of jack of all trades. So they had to learn how to be gothic horror, science fiction, spaghetti western. They had to switch from like one type of film to another because whatever was popular at the time, they had to just switch Speaking it up. Speaking of Fulci, he did that. He did that, and Mario Bava managed at least one film in almost every conceivable phylone. Um, Sometimes he combined two different genres together, but he did, you know, crime film, science fiction. Bava also introduced the witness becomes a detective trope, which is very popular in Jalo. 
so he launched all of this, and then it was later replicated, you know, by Argento and Aldo Lado. Oh, Tenebrae. Sergio Martino. <laughs> so Bava is a prime example of how the phylone affected the film industry. So in conclusion, the phylone is more flexible than a genre or a subgenre, and takes the ideas of cycles, trends, and traditions in account. I feel very educated right now. I feel like I'll learn something here. That's why I'm here. And the tie-in with this, Dress to Kill, is a phylone of all the Jello films. Yeah. Like, it's uh, like, oh, it's like that, in the vein of this. Yep, it's like Direct, a crime, done by, crime done thriller, America. bit of sexploitation a little bit. <laughs> like I said, very horny. Um, black Love Killer. Also kind of... Mystery. More psychosexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very, like, American noir... It's erotic, neo, it's kind of neo like a neo noir yeah. erotic thriller. Yeah, for sure. The Palm. Thanks, Brian. The Palm. Holy mackerel! <laughs> Holy mackerel! All right. With that said, flavor of the month. Do you have any suggestions that would go well <clears throat> with Dress to Kill? I got weird ones. Double features, books, music. I got weird ones. Everything. Like I do almost every episode. I don't think I did for Deep Red, but I have this thing where I'm going to recommend two things. I'm going to recommend a movie, but I'm also going to recommend a Tales from the Crypt episode. This Tales from the Crypt episode is from the second season of Tales from the Crypt, okay? It's called Mute Witness to a Murder. It's basically, it's kind of rear window a little bit. This uh, woman sees this guy through her window murder uh his wife and she starts screaming uh and she loses her voice and becomes mute and then she basically gets become not kind of time can't say a word mm. so it's kind of like a woman kind of, a female being uh not depowered but more of like not listened to mm-hmm. and trapped and chased that's what i would say this would be that'd be a good tales from the crypt that's episode a to go with suggestion here's one at the left field but whoever's seen the movie knows, like, I'm not going to say Psycho. Or you're not going to say Psycho either, are you? No. Okay. That's obvious, right? Um, because it has the beats of, like, they kill the main character, and then they, then they reveal that the man is watching, that the woman is actually a male, and he's, like, in mm-hmm. the same song. Trauma film, Lloyd Kaufman directed Terror Firmer. Okay. Uh, Would you watch, deals- should you watch that before or after Just the Kill? After. After because it's like, it plays off the twist of the transsexual okay. killer. Mostly on that part where it deals with the transsexual killer and like like the issues of like the conflict of identity with them. It's a little more trashy than this movie. This movie, <laughs> Dress to Kill is classy oh. while Terra Firmer is it's trashy. It's trauma. All you had to say was trauma. Yes. It's trauma and awesome. it's, um, it's an interesting double feature. I what bet. was the first... What was the episode called? Mute Witness to a Murder. Mute Witness to a Murder. Season 2. It's, uh, it is, I don't know the exact number, but it's at, uh, after uh, Lower Birth. So there were many movies that I could have recommended for the theme of this episode. I already made some suggestions, you know, like Dawn of the Dead, pairing with Cannibal Holocaust, or City of the Living Dead, you know, or really any Lucio Fulci films. Watch those, of course. My flavor of the month, I kept it really brief this episode. I have one movie and one book. The film is Cruising. So it's from 1980. I've never seen this movie. Al Pacino. Whoa. And it has very similar LGBTQ themes. 
So I would recommend watching that. It has a very similar theme when it comes to that and like transgender and sex. Lot to say. Cruising from 1980. And the book that I am recommending is La Dolce Morte, Vernacular Cinema and the Italian Giallo Film by Michael Coven. It's Coven with a K. K-O-V-E-N. Um, and it is a detailed analysis of the main themes of the genre. I use this book to do a lot of the research on the Philone. And the book was actually printed in Maryland, which is where we live. Hey. Yeah. So it's like very interesting. I know exactly where this book was printed and published. La Dolce Morte. You can go to worldcat.org. So it's worldcat.org to find it at a local library. That's my book. And you're sticking to it. (laughs) I'm sticking to it. Uh, The book was very educational. A lot of history, a lot of really detailed, well-researched information. Wade, do you have anything to promote for this episode? Oh, I do. I do, because this Sunday, February 2nd, uh, I am releasing my third short film. It's a horror film. It's called Laugh Till You Die, and it's going to be on Vimeo, which is vimeo.com slash Productions. Also, most likely YouTube. YouTube.com slash Mickish Productions. It's kind of a violent thing, so I don't know how YouTube will take it, so it's definitely going to be on Vimeo. But that's where all of our short films, like YouTube we have has our Criterion Connection, which you've been on, uh, B-Movie Den, stuff like that. This is the Vimeo specifically just for film that we do. Check that out. I have a band, Meteor King. Uh, check that out. Horror Punk and a Mickish podcast I do. I'm sorry, I'm plugging a lot, so I'm going to do it really fast. Mint Condition Podcast. <laughs> you don't have to do it really fast. Mint Condition Podcast. We talk about pop culture and all kinds of stuff. And movies, mostly movies. Sometimes wrestling. Sometimes wrestling. Uh, sometimes music, whatever. You know, we're also starting to do movie commentaries and stuff like that. Um, so check that out. It is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, all that. So that's Make a Dish Podcast on Tuesdays. But on Fridays, we also have a new show if you like wrestling. If you don't like wrestling, then don't care about this. But if you do like wrestling, we do something called Watching Crappy Wrestling on those same things. You know, If you like 90s wrestling, right? Technically not. Because we're doing the first year, we're doing all, every single Monday Night Nitro from WCW in the year 2000. 2000, which is, okay. Which is their last full Might year. Well be the it's their last full year before they go out of business, and it's bad. It's real bad. It's basically, you know, Mystery Science Theater, but with wrestling. Yeah. Um, but it's on, you know, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, all that, Stitcher, all of that, Anchor. And it's, it's on Anchor. Watching. Crappy wrestling. Wrestling. R A S S L I N. Yeah, so if you just search up like watching crappy, it like populates, right? Yes. Awesome. Um, and you know, our Instagram make dish productions. But also you can follow me personally. Sorry, I have so many plugs. You can follow me personally on Twitter. Yeah, it's Frank and Swade. Instagram Swade Guy and my letterbox is Swade MCP. Follow me on Letterbox. People have been following me on Letterbox for some reason. Uh, I guess I have good taste or whatever. Good reviews. So follow me. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I filled a third of your programming (laughs) just now. (laughs) Also, thank you to everyone who bought a pin pack and donated to my Special Olympics Maryland fundraiser. I promoted it on Instagram as well as the past episode or two. I mentioned that I was participating in the Polar Bear Plunge to benefit Special Olympics Maryland. 
It was last Friday. I raised over $500 for sports and leadership programs thanks to your generous donations and for purchasing Jolo of the Month Club pins. I plunged. I raised money. I sent out pins and stickers and a bunch of fun stuff. So next year when I do it, I'm going to probably get even better pins and better merch, better swag, and I'm going to have really awesome pin packs. And you're going to go deeper in the water. <laughs> I'm going to plunge even harder next year. Also, Cannonball. my team, my plunge team, won second place. We raised over $50,000 for a Special Olympics Maryland. Turns out your team was actual polar bears. Yeah, we're all just bears. Yes. So you can follow myself, Diana, on Twitter and Instagram at Diana NK. I also have a Letterboxd account at Diana NK. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Jalo Club. Thank you to Vegan Patches for the logo design. You can find Matt's Etsy shop at Retirement Fund. The theme music that you heard in the intro is by Dream Division. You can find Dream Division's music on Instagram at Dream Division Music and on Bandcamp at dreamdivision.bandcamp.com. Wade, thank you for being here. It's always a pleasure. I'm just going to say, this episode is my favorite episode since the last one. That was one. (laughs) (laughs) I always said same, but I did not add that little (laughs) tidbit at the end. Listeners, please stay tuned. We have a bunch of cool stuff on the slate. I have guests on the schedule. I have a bunch of film festivals coming up. Overlook Film Festival, Maryland Film Festival, Fantastic Fest. So yeah, so I'll be watching like a lot of new movies, a lot of Jalo, and it's going to be cool. And as always, I'm your host, Diana. And I'm Wade, and that's Diana's cat, Barrett. That was actually Wingard. I can't see him from here, but I hear him. Means we gotta wrap up. Mm-hmm.